Welcome to all of you at all of our campuses today, Bluntstown, Shipley, and Mariana. We are so glad to have you join us today as we begin a four-week series of conversations that's going to help you imagine and experience life without the frustration of constantly failing to be who you believe God has made you to be. Now, before we get into today's conversation, I really think it'd be good for us to pause and to celebrate the goodness of God and the results of your commitment as a church to invest and invite in our our neighbors. Listen, you took the invite challenge seriously, and it had a significant impact. There were over 2,200 people at all three of our campuses. You heard that right, over 2,200 people at all three of our campuses, and one of the numbers that excites me the most is we had over 500 children, literally 545 to be exact. So you are impacting the next generation as a church, and you need to celebrate that win at all of our churches. Can we do that? I mean, that is absolutely amazing. And here's why that's such a big deal for me. As a dad, I always wanted our churches to be a church for the next generation, and that is why we have worked so hard to partner with parents over the years. And now, as a grandfather, my passion for reaching the next generation is just as great, maybe even greater, because I'm beginning to understand the multi-generational impact in ways that I never have before. And here's the other thing. I know that most of you who served in our children's ministry, you missed the opportunity to attend an amazing Easter service because you served in both services. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you to all of you who serve and you give of your time and your money to be a church that is absolutely committed to reaching the next generation for Jesus. Now, if you would like to be part of this incredible journey and invest in the mission and the ministry of our church and help us continue continue to reach the next generation. You can do that by serving. You can do that by giving. If you want to give, you can go to our app today or website or place in the giving boxes as you exit the auditorium. But I just want to thank you for being a church that is committed to leading people, no matter what their age and stage, into a relationship with Jesus. Can we celebrate the hard work of everybody who serves and gives one more time? Thank you so much. We appreciate you guys. Thank you, ladies, you students. Thank you so much for what you do to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, today, as I told you, I want to start a series of conversations that's going to help you imagine and experience life without the frustration of constantly failing to be who you believe God has made you to be and who you really want to be. And I want to do that by reminding you of something that you already know. And I know you that you know this because all of you at all of our churches, you're intelligent people. But one of the things that is easy to forget at times, so I I just want to remind you because a reminder never hurts. And here is the thing that I think we need to be reminded of. It's impossible to solve a problem if you don't know what's causing the problem. Let me say this one more time. It's so important. It's impossible to solve a problem if you don't know what's causing the problem. Now, I bring this up because many of you, you have been trying to solve you for quite some time. And I know that because many of you have had conversations with me. You've had it with many of our leaders on our staff and other teams in our, in our church. And, and I know that you've spent money trying to solve you. I know you've seen a counselor trying to solve you. You've read books and you've listened to podcasts trying to solve you. You've even, some of you have come to church trying to solve you. 
But in spite of all of your efforts and in spite of all of your attempts, you haven't been able to solve you. And here's what I know from these conversations. It's cost you. Some of you, it's cost you a job. Some of you, it's cost you a marriage. Some of you, it's cost you a relationship. Some of you, it's cost you time and money and a lot of sleep because you couldn't solve you. And if I ask you what the problem was, you'd have a theory, you'd have an opinion, and while you're trying maybe even in your theory, in your opinion, to blame people or your circumstances, maybe even from your past or your present, for why you have the problem of you, I would suggest the reason that you can't solve you, it might be because you never got to the root of what was actually causing the problem. And and if you did... There is a big difference between identifying the problem and then identifying the solution to the problem. So what's going to happen is for the next few weeks, I want to share something that I have found to be incredibly helpful to me as I have tried to solve the problem of me. So I'm going to do my best over these next few weeks to explain to you what your problem really is. Now, that sounds really fun, right? But let me just kind of clarify. I wouldn't presume to tell you what your problem is, but the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he has no problem telling us because it was his problem too. And what matters even more is the Apostle Paul, he gives us a solution to our problem by helping explain the solution that he found in his own life. Now, here's the thing. You may not like what he has to say, and I I get that, but you can decide what you want to do with this, but I really think it's worth you considering, or at least considering, for your own benefit. So, in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some Christ followers in Rome, in fact, the Apostle Paul, he spent a lot of time in this letter writing that he wrote to the Christ followers at Rome, explaining our problem and even his problem. And if you don't think the Apostle Paul gets you, and if you don't think the Apostle Paul gets your world and what you deal with, I want you to listen to what he writes about his own life and his own experience. And we're going to pick this up in Romans chapter 7, if you're following along in your Bibles. Here's what he says, Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now, before we get into the depths of the Apostle Paul unpacking his personal struggle, I want you to notice this word law in this verse. Now, when you see the word law, I want you to think about it as the standard is good. So the Apostle Paul says, There's a standard that I live by. There's a standard that you live by. There's a set of values and beliefs about what is right and what is good, what a person should do, what a person shouldn't do, that we believe is good. There's a standard. And the standard is all the good things that I want to be true about me in my life. And what he's saying is, is the problem is, even though I want to live up to this standard that I believe is good, I can't seem to live up, it, live up to it consistently. And here's the thing that I think, we all can relate to that, can't we? I mean, you have a standard by which you try to live your life, and in your mind, that standard is good. It may be God's standard, it may be your parents' standard, it may be society's standard, or it may be a standard that you made up on your own, but we've all got a standard. 
And we all know the frustration that the Apostle Paul is describing because we often think to ourselves something like he's writing here like, what's wrong with me? I can't even live up to my own standard that I think is good. I can't do the things that I want to do even though I know that they are in my best interest. Here's the thing. We go, man, my standard is good. And if I did those things, I'd be a better friend, I'd be a better parent, I'd be a better spouse, I'd be a better person, I'd have less anxiety, I'd have less stress, I'd have a better life. And here's the thing we all know, I have every motivation, I have every motive inside of me to do the good things and stop doing all the harmful things, but I still can't follow through on the standard that I think is good. And the question is, why is that? Here's the Apostle Paul's explanation in verse 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I want you to notice this phrase, sin living in me. (laughs) When you read that at first, it could sound like a bad sci-fi movie, right? Like I have some kind of alien sin living inside of me. So what does sin living in me really mean? Well, it means this. It means there's something inside of you that was never intended to be in you. It's alien. It's foreign to the way that God created you. And I want you to hang on to that because we're going to be unpacking that throughout this series of the next four weeks. But hang on to that idea and we'll begin to show you what the Apostle Paul means by that. But let's read the rest of his explanation first. Here's what he says next. For I know... That good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Now, here's a new phrase, but I want you to notice this new phrase, sinful nature. Now, this phrase, sinful nature, it doesn't mean that there is no good in you at all. Notice he says, for I know that the good in itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. There is no good in this sinful nature inside of you. In fact, notice the last part of this verse. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Then he goes on. He says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. (laughs) And all of us go, I get that, because here's the thing I know, whether you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower, whether you believe the Bible or not, I think this is a verse that we all can agree on. Like, I want to eat healthy and exercise, but I can't seem to motivate myself to do that. Or I I want to be disciplined with my spending and live on a budget, but I just can't seem to make myself live within those limits. Or I want to control my temper and be patient with other people, but I just can't seem to get myself under control. Or I want to be positive and encouraging to others, but I just can't seem to have a good attitude. Or I want to stop looking at that stuff, but I just can't seem to stop myself. Or I want to stop saying that or stop saying those kind of things, but I just can't seem to control it. Or maybe for you, it's I want to be a good parent, or I want to be a good spouse, or I want to be a good son, or I want to be a good daughter, but I just can't seem to get it right. I want to do good but I just can't seem to carry out the good I want to do. The question is, why is that? Now, here's what I know. It's not because you don't have enough information, is it? I mean, do you really need more advice about what is good or what is bad? 
I mean, the truth is, you, you don't need someone to come along and tell you, hey, porn pollutes your life and wrecks your relationships. You don't need somebody to come along and tell you that cheating on your spouse is absolutely going to con- destroy your marriage or ruin your marriage. You, you don't need someone explaining why honesty is better than dishonesty. You don't need someone to tell you that your life would be so much better if you would control your temper and honor your parents. Like, you don't need another self-help book or a podcast. In fact, do you know why people make so much money writing self-help books or doing podcasts? Not because they've come up with a new solution to an old problem. Not at all. Every self-help resource just rehashes advice that's been around forever. I've lived long enough to begin to see that. They're just repackaging it and explaining it different than it was explained in 20. 2002 or 2002 or 1992 or 1982. And here's the thing. If those solutions would actually work, we'd have solved all of our problems and nobody would need to write a new book or create a new podcast. But here's the thing. Self-help isn't actually helpful when it comes to fixing you. It's just a short-term fix. And then you know what we do? We revert right back to what we've always done. So here's the thing. You don't need more advice. You most likely already know exactly what you should and you shouldn't do. You just can't figure out how to actually do it. That's your problem and that's my problem. So if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, why do I keep doing the very things I don't want to do? The Apostle Paul would look back at you and say, because there's something bigger than you at work here. You can't fix you because there's something in you that's not supposed to be there. You have a sin nature in you, and there is nothing good in or anything good about that sin nature. And when that sin nature gets hold of you, you can't do the good that you want to do because it has power over you. There is no human strong enough to tame it on their own. There is no human disciplined enough to control it on their own. It will control you and dominate you and self-help is not your solution. So the real problem with you, according to the Apostle Paul, and you may not like this, but the real problem with you is sin. Sin is your problem. Sin is my problem. Now, here's the thing. When you think of sin, you think of sin as a verb. You think of sin as something that you do every now and then, and, and that's most likely true for most of us. But the Apostle Paul, when he uses the word sin here in this passage, it is a noun. It's a thing. It's a thing inside of you influencing and impacting everything that you do. So part of your nature that has been created by God, it wants to do good. It wants to be loving. It wants to be joyful. It wants to be patient. It wants to be kind. It it wants to practice self-control. But the sin nature in you, it wants the exact opposite of the good that you want to do, which means there's this tug of war that's inside of you. And on your own, you aren't capable of winning that war. On your own, you are powerless to keep from doing the very things you don't want to do. But your sin nature continues to demand that you do. So sin living inside of me is my problem. But here's the thing, 
The Apostle Paul, he also believed that there is a solution to this sin problem. In fact, here's how he describes this in Romans chapter 5. We'll look at this verse 6 and 8 if you want to turn to there in your Bibles. Here's what he says. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, and the question is, powerless to do what? Well, when we were still powerless to our sin nature that was living inside of us, powerless to do and be who we were created to be and what we most wanted to be. So the Apostle Paul is referring to this sin nature dilemma, this sin nature tension that we all experience that. I want to do what is right, but it's like I don't have the power to do what is right. But here's the good news. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were unable to fix ourselves, notice verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, here's the thing. In this whole talk, this is the place where all of us are most likely to push back and say, wait, wait, wait just a second. I don't think I fit in the category of ungodly. I mean, after all, I mean, Christ died for the ungodly. I think that's kind of harsh. I feel like I'm a good person. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not ungodly. I know some ungodly people, and I'm not one of those ungodly people. Well, let me help you wrap your head around what the Apostle Paul is saying when he says Christ died for the ungodly. Because remember, until you know and until you acknowledge what your problem is, you can't actually fix the problem. So while the Apostle Paul didn't know any of you personally, he is very confident that we were all ungodly. Now, the question is, why would he say that? Here's why. Because God is perfect, and you, and I know this is not a word, you are unperfect. So if God is perfect and you are unperfect, then you are unlike God which means you are ungodly. Because if you are unlike God, then you are ungodly. So don't miss this. You are not ungodly because you are the worst person in the world or you're the worst sinner in the world or you've committed a certain number of sins in your life. No, you are ungodly because you are not like God. You are not perfect and God is. So to help us understand this and to help us own that we are all ungodly, I want you to kind of turn to your neighbor and let's just say it together. Say, I've discovered we are all ungodly. Can we all say that together at all of our churches? Hey, I have discovered we are all ungodly. Let's say that one more time. I have discovered today we are all ungodly. Here's the thing. When you understand that, you begin to understand we're all on the same playing field. We're all on a level playing field may be a better way to say it. Because see, we are all unperfect. God is perfect. We are unperfect. Therefore, we are ungodly. And you know what? I'm sure for some of you, this makes sense of a lot of things for you. This is why some of you, for years, you struggle with church people because they acted like they're these perfect, godly people. And you're going, no way. You're not even close. You can't live up to the standard you have for your own life, much less God's perfect standard. Well, 
Now, when you kind of bump into that person, they act like they're all perfect and everything. You can tell them, hey, the apostle Paul said, you're ungodly too. So here's the thing. You're ungodly. I'm ungodly. What that means is you're in good company. See, the apostle Paul says, listen, we're all in this together. But the apostle Paul also says, we're not alone. We have help for this. When we were powerless and ungodly, Jesus died for us. Don't lose that thought. We're going to come back to that in a second. But he goes on in the next verse. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And we see this happen from time to time. I mean, people from time to time will give their lives for somebody who is good, but it's rare. Whenever we see it, we're inspired by it and we understand it, but that's not what the Apostle Paul is about to describe in verse 8. Notice what he says. But God, so this is a contrast to verse 7. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the Apostle Paul says, you need to recognize God's love for us. It's in a category that is entirely different than our love. See, we might sacrifice for good people, as we said from reading verse 7. We've seen that happen from time, from time to time. But he says, God demonstrated his own love, a whole nother level of love for us, because Jesus died for ungodly people like you and like me. Jesus died for sinners like you and like me. And that brings up this question. Why did he have to die? Well, we're going to talk more about this in the next couple of weeks. But the short answer to this is he died because your sin nature, my sin nature, it requires death. The consequence of sin is always death. We cannot overcome our sin nature that lives in us on our own. We can't stop doing the things that we don't want to do on our own. So we need someone to do two things for us. First of all, we needed someone to take the penalty of our sin. So Jesus, he died the death that we deserved. In fact, we just celebrated that last, last Sunday at Easter Sunday. And here's the thing you have to understand. Sin always brings death. And, and we're not just talking about physical death. We're talking about spiritual death and separation from God, but it also brings relational death. So God put all the penalty of our sin on Jesus' shoulders on the cross, and Jesus met the demands for justice for us. Justice had to be served, but Jesus didn't want us to experience that. So Jesus did that for us. So the first thing that we needed is we needed someone to take the penalty of our sin. The second thing that we needed, we needed someone to break the power of our sin. In other words, Jesus provided us with a way to overcome the control of this alien, this foreign, this shouldn't be in there, sin nature inside of you and me. Sin doesn't have to be your master. We don't have to keep doing the things that we don't want to do and not being able to do the things that we really want to do. We don't have to live 
with the frustration of not being able to fix and change what needs to be changed. In fact, over the next few weeks, we're really going to be unpacking how that we can experience and live this out because the Apostle Paul is saying, now there's hope for you to have power over sin. So let's go back to Romans chapter 7, because back in Romans chapter 7, after the Apostle Paul begins to describe his frustration with not being able to do what he wants to do, the good that he wants to do, he asks this important question. And in this question, we start seeing the unpacking of the solution. Notice what he says. What a wretched man am I? I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, I don't want you to miss what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, I am such a sinner, but it's not because I drive 5 or 10 or 15, maybe sometimes 20 miles over the speed limit. It's not because I ate that second piece of pie or cake. No, no, no. I have much bigger issues. I am such a sinner, and I can't fix myself because I am ungodly. I am unlike God. God is perfect and I am not. And I can't change me on my own. I don't have that kind of power. I can't even live up to my own standard, much less God's standard. So the question is, who is going to rescue me from this penalty and this power of sin? And then he tells us what he has personally experienced that changed everything for him. Notice verse 25 of chapter seven. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So according to the apostle Paul, what can free me from this, from the death that sin is creating in me and in my relationship with God and my my relationship with other people? Or how can I escape the power and the control of this sin nature that I don't want in me? because it keeps me from living by the good standard that I want to live. He says, what is the hope for me? And then he begins to give us the hope. He says, at just the right time, while we were still ungodly sinners, God saw our dilemma and he showed up and he delivered us and he rescued us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, now, There's this forgiveness that's available to us that covers all the consequence of our sin nature. And there's a grace that is available that frees us, as we're going to see over the next few weeks, from the power of our sin nature. See, sin doesn't have to be our boss anymore. You don't have to live with bad attitudes and bad outlooks. You don't have to live under the power of sin and experience harmful actions or behaviors. So here's what he's saying. For all of us who've ever thought, man, I don't really need God. The apostle Paul says, no, no, this is why you need God. You need to be rescued from the sin nature that lives in us. Because see, it is creating problems for all of us. All of the problems that we are trying to fix in our life are because of sin living in me. And that is our sin nature. And for all of us who maybe thought, thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness. But here's the thing. Now that I've got this little forgiveness ticket from God, I'm going to take it from here and I'm going to live a good life on my own. The apostle Paul is very clear. You can try But there's no way that you're going to succeed because, see, you don't have the power in you 
You don't have the power to change you. You need a fundamental change in you, and you need a power greater than you have in you to overcome your sin nature every day of your life from this day forward. You don't have it in you, but you have it available to you if you learn to lean in it, and we're going to learn to lean in it together over these next few weeks. Now, here's what I know. I know this conversation has most likely created more questions than answered for many of you, but I just want you to hang on. Next week, we're going to begin to dive deeper into what this means and address the questions that so many of us may be asking, like, why did Jesus have to die? And why was I born with a sin nature? That doesn't even seem fair because I didn't want to have sin in me. And how does Jesus' death and resurrection help me live like I should live? How does it give me power over sin? Because right now, I'm trying to follow Jesus, but it doesn't seem to help a whole lot. Listen, we're going to dive into all those questions in the coming weeks. But first, here's the big question, because this is the beginning of fixing the problem of me, and that is this. Are you willing to acknowledge you can't fix you. Are you willing to acknowledge that you can't fix you? Are you ready to admit that you are an ungodly sinner who can't even live up to your own standard, much less God's standard? That God is perfect and we are unperfect. So we are all ungodly. Are you willing to admit that you need rescuing, that you can't rescue yourself, that you need a savior? Well, here's the the great news. You have one. While we were still powerless, Jesus died for us. And here's what I want to do. I want to invite those of you who have never acknowledged that you need that, and you've just kept rejecting Jesus' forgiveness to receive it right now. And it's simple to do. Just tell God this from your heart. Just say, Jesus, I can't fix me, but I believe you can. I give you my life from this day forward. See, because you're ungodly, you need to make this step. But here's the thing you need to know. You're in good company. We all needed someone to save us. Fortunately, someone has. And that someone is Jesus, and he's invited you to follow him. He's invited you into a personal relationship with him. So will you receive that gift from Jesus right now? It's the first step to being who you want to be and who God created you to be. It's your first step. First of all, to taking care of the penalty of sin in your life, but begin to experience this. We're going to talk about next week how to overcome the power of sin in our lives. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you. The Apostle Paul was so vulnerable and transparent about his own personal struggle. And in pointing out his problem, it identified our problem. It's sin. That sin nature that's in us, but it's this alien, it's this foreign, it's that it shouldn't be thing that we were never created to have in our lives. But it's so powerful. God, today, I thank you. Apostle Paul said, this is the problem, but here's the solution. And I thank you as we go on this journey for the next few weeks. And we're going to learn 
we're free from the penalty of sin, but we also can experience the power over that sin nature. But today, we're admitting we're unlike God because you're perfect and we're not. So therefore, we're ungodly and we need a Savior to free us from the penalty of sin. If you're in any of our churches today and you want to just make that statement in your heart as I make it out loud, will you just say, Jesus, today, I know I can't fix me, but I believe you can. Today, I ask for your forgiveness for all my sin. I ask you to come in my heart and be my Lord and my Savior from this day forward. I'm just going to keep coming back and I'm going to learn what it means to live in a relationship with you and to experience not only freedom from the penalty of sin, but to live and have power over sin so that sin is not my master, my boss anymore. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks for your grace and your amazing Holy Spirit power. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed to receive Jesus Christ, please let us know. And you can do that multiple ways. You can mark it on your Connect card. You can leave that on your seat as you leave and just leave it face down. Or you can drop it in the giving boxes as you exit. And we'll send you some information to help you with some next steps. But we would love to have you stop by the gallery today so we can talk with you about maybe what some next steps for you are in your relationship with Jesus. In fact, if you're at any of our churches, you have any questions concerning your faith journey about RCC, please stop by the gallery. We don't want you to leave with any unanswered questions. We'd love to answer those. And next week, we're going to start talking about how you experience power over the sin nature that dwells in us. You don't want to miss it. Make sure you bring a friend or family member because you don't want them to miss it either. See you next week. Have a great week.
God, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the incredible miracle that we celebrate today. But it's not just a miracle of your resurrection, but it's also the miracle of our adoption into your family. May we all leave this place being fully committed to live fully surrendered because of the price that you paid for us. May our lives be a celebration of your resurrection as we live surrendered fully to you, loving others as you've loved us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have a great day celebrating our resurrected Savior. We'll see you.